I don't know about you, that gives me chill bumps. It really, really does. He, he is the one. He is the one. He is the one. I wonder if he's the one in your life. John the disciple who wrote by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Gospel of John, as well as three epistles toward the end of the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, introduces us to John the Baptist. I said earlier, I say again, that I, I find John the Baptist to be extremely relevant to who we are today, to our lifestyles, to what we believe, to what we project, to our ministries. I find him to be extremely relevant today. And so we want to look at John the Baptist, but I, I want us to see in his relevance to us that he knew who he was, his identity, he knew who he was, he knew who he wasn't. He had a really deep knowledge of who Jesus was. Um, I'm not sure... It, during all of his ministry or early on in his ministry, if he had an experiential knowledge of who Jesus was, but he certainly had a head knowledge of who Jesus was. Um, and I want us to conclude this morning by looking at a defining moment in John the Baptist's life. And, and that's the part that I hope we'll find so relevant. Um, God has the power to change us. And that is his desire, that we are on this spiritual journey whereby he is constantly loving us and involved in our lives for a purpose, to mold us and shape us into the image of his son, Jesus. I pray that we take a giant step toward that this morning. I, I, I pray that fervently. John the disciple introduces us to John the Baptist early in his gospel. As a matter of fact, we looked very briefly last week at verses 6 through 8. Uh, those won't be on the screen. Let me just remind you of the verses that we looked at last week. John the disciple says this, there was a man sent from God whose name was John he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him, the light. John the Baptist was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And then we see in John, the first chapter, in the 23rd verse, when John is asked by some religious leaders of the day, who are you? I, I wonder if someone asked you that question, what your response might be. If you were to have an opportunity to have ministry in someone's life, to care about someone, to serve someone, whatever that capacity might be, and their response to you was, who are you? What would you say to them? John the Baptist encountered this question, and his answer is in the 23rd verse of John chapter 1. And he simply said this, I am the voice 
of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John's response was, I am the voice. Now listen, those of you who sit here this morning and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're a believer, I want to suggest to you that you will never lack identity if you will embrace and understand and learn the secret of John the Baptist. That a good response to who are you would simply be to say, I'm a voice. I'm a voice sent by God. A voice to talk about Jesus. No matter what your vocation is, and no matter where you live, or where you find yourself, you can understand who you are when you understand that you are simply a voice to talk to whoever may cross your path, whenever they cross your path, on any given day, about the person and the nature and the ministry and the return of Jesus Christ. Now, don't let that slip by. You'll never struggle with your identity when you understand that you are a voice. We've talked a lot about this in the last couple of weeks. Our purpose, how God wants to change us and how God wants to use us and how God wants us to be His hands and feet and how God wants us to boldly proclaim the truth about Jesus Christ. We are a voice. I found it so interesting in, in cross-referencing this passage of Scripture. And I go back to Isaiah, where there was a prophecy that there would be a voice. It's in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3, 4, and 5. It says this, <clears throat> A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill he made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now this is a prophecy. In the first century, there weren't a lot of roads. And so the common people, that's kind of you and me, they would make their way from one point to another, sometimes great distances, the best way that they could. They would, they would take the path, they would take the route that was available to them, sometimes having to walk around a mountain or, or a sea or a lake. But when the king was making his way, from one point to another, there would be one who would go before the king and he would communicate and convey and tell the people, the king is coming, the king is coming. And people would begin making a way for him. In other words, he, they would begin to make a road by which the king would travel. 
Now, obviously, in this prophecy that foretells of John being a voice calling us to prepare a road for the king, to prepare a way for the king, he's not talking about a physical road. So what's he talking about? How do we prepare a way for the Lord? Well, it's in our hearts. When we, when we begin to understand this prophecy and we begin to understand what John the Baptist is talking about as he is a voice in the wilderness calling those, calling those who hear to prepare a way for the Lord. And when we begin to understand that what he is saying there is get ready. Get your heart ready. The King is coming. I... I what, when we kind of have that perspective, I think these three verses kind of begin to take on a whole new perspective and a whole new meaning for us. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, prepare your heart, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then he says something like this, every valley shall be lifted up, as if to say, when you prepare your heart for, the God, for God, when you prepare a way for Him, there will be encouragement in your life. We all have valley experiences whereby it needs, we need to be built up. I think John the Baptist in, in his experience and his ministry knew this firsthand. John the Baptist was an interesting guy. He was, he was very different than those around him. His lifestyle was different. Now keep in mind that, that he was from the tribe of Levi, the family of Levi. He could have had an extremely comfortable life being a priest, but that's not what God called him to. As people would look at John the Baptist and they'd say, this guy's weird. This guy's strange. This guy is different. He's different in where he lives. He's different in how he dresses. Even his, his diet is different. His ministry is different. I imagine that there were times in John the Baptist's experience where he found himself in great valleys. I imagine he spent a lot of his time alone and he needed to be lifted up. And I think that he could really, really relate to what the prophecy was saying here that when we prepare our hearts for the Lord, that part, the, one of the things that He does for us is encourage us. I, I, I love going back to, to Luke chapter 7. Here's what Jesus says about John the Baptist. Luke chapter 7 and verse 28 we could spend the rest of our time on the context of this, but let me just share one thing with you about it. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John the Baptist Jesus is talking about. None is greater. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John the Baptist. What an incredible endorsement that Jesus makes of John the Baptist. And then he goes on and he says, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What does that mean? How can we 
experience and encouragement from what Jesus says. John the Baptist, Jesus says, was the greatest of all the prophets. But guess who in Jesus' eyes is greater? You are. How can I say that? Because everyone who is a believer who's part of God's kingdom is greater than John. Why? Because John was an Old Testament guy. John was under the law. James tells us that when it was just the right time, God sent forth His Son, born under the law, so that He might give us freedom from the law. You're a New Testament believer. John was under the bondage of the law. You are free from the law. John was a a, a forerunner of the king, a herald of the king. You're a friend of the king. John prepared the way for the bridegroom, but you're the bride. John's not greater or John's, or, or, or I shouldn't say, I should say, you're not greater because of the person that you are, but because of your position in Jesus Christ. You're not just greater, you're perfect in God's eyes because of what Jesus did on that cross. Those who believe. If you have no other reason to be joyful this morning, Let that be enough. That's part of your identity. A child of the king, the bride of the bridegroom. John knew who he was. He was a voice crying out, prepare a way for the Lord. Listen, is it relevant? He cries out to us today, prepare a way for the Lord. What does he mean? Prepare your heart to receive from God. Prepare your heart to experience God. There's too many Christians who are playing Christian. There's a difference between um, a head knowledge and an an experience or an experiential knowledge. Prepare your heart to experience God. Allow Him to be involved in your life. We could speak more about who John was and how he presented himself, but know that he understood his identity. He also knew who he wasn't. Verses 20 through 22. He confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. These Jewish leaders were coming to him thinking that that this was the one who would claim, or another one who would claim to be the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one of the Old Testament prophecy. John wanted to make very, very clear, I'm not the Christ. And so they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? This this also refers to a prophecy that Elijah would come again. He said, I'm I'm not. Are, Are you the prophet? A prophecy in Deuteronomy that would talk about a prophet who would come, and when he comes, you need to listen to him. It was a prophecy about the coming of Jesus Christ. And John said to them, no, I'm not the prophet. And that's when they said, well, who are you? 
I'm just a voice. But he understood who he wasn't. He wasn't God. If I said to you today, are you the Christ? Are, are you God? Of course, you would say no. I'm not. Do we act like we are sometimes? Can I suggest that that maybe any time in any experience of our lives where we think we can handle the situation on our own, we're not saying that we're God, but our lives are projecting that we think we are. Whether it's your, your, your career, your job, whether it's your marriage, whether it's parenting, whether it's a difficult circumstance that you're going through, whether it be financial or, or physical, maybe a relational, and you think to yourself, I can handle this, I've got this covered. Our words are not saying that we are God, but sometimes I get concerned that maybe our lifestyle or our actions are saying, I am God. John the Baptist knew clearly that he was not God. And that he could not accomplish what God had called him to accomplish if he relied on his own abilities. And so there was this time when John just kind of gave himself to God as he understood God. He surrendered himself to God. And God used him. John the Baptist understood who he was, his identity. John the Baptist understood who he wasn't. And John the Baptist understood who Jesus was. Verse 27, John the Baptist says these interesting words, Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He's saying that, that the one that he is pointing to, the one that he is foretelling about, is greater than him. And one of the reasons that he understands that the, the king is greater than him is that he preceded him, which is an interesting thing to say. Because people understood that John the Baptist was born before Jesus was born. That John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. That their mothers were sisters. That John the Baptist preceded Jesus in birth by six months. And yet, part of John the Baptist's testimony is, he's greater than I. I'm not worthy to to tie his sandals, which was the most humble thing that a person could do. I'm not worthy to tie his sandals. I know that he preceded me. John the Baptist understood the nature, the eternal nature of the one who he was preparing a way for. An interesting scripture. In verse 29, he he says this, "I, I know this about the one who's coming. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist understood that the one who would come was the Lamb of God. John the Baptist understood all about the Lamb. I remind you that he was from the tribe, the house of Levi, which made up the priesthood of Israel. 
His dad probably was a priest. Maybe he went to work with his dad on some days. He understood that the lamb was what was sacrificed to cover our sins. He understood the history of the lamb. He understood that, that in the Old Testament, the, the shout of the people were, was, where is the lamb? Where is the lamb that has been promised? Where is the lamb? That the New Testament would proclaim, behold the lamb. And that eternity would proclaim, worthy is the lamb. He understood the meaning of the Lamb, and he understood that the one who would come would be the Lamb of God. He understood that in Genesis it was Abel who first sacrificed a lamb to God. And that Exodus, each family was instructed by God to sacrifice a lamb. And that in the book of Leviticus it would be a sacrifice of a lamb, lamb for the nation of Israel, and then now he begins to understand in this in this New Testament phase that there would be a lamb that would be for the world, a lamb that would sacrifice himself, that wouldn't just cover sin, but that would take away sin. John truly knew who Jesus was. Here's a question, and here's why I asked you to pay such close attention to that video. When was it that John truly understood who Jesus was? They were cousins. They had grown up together. They had attended the festivals together. They had traveled together. They had played games together. They had spent a lot of time together. And yet in the video that we just saw, he says, I didn't really understand who this one who was coming to be the lamb that would be sacrificed for the world. I didn't really understand who it was. But here's his testimony. In John chapter 1. Let me start at verse 31. I, here's what John the Baptist says. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water. He had, he had begun his ministry. It was at least that late in his life. I, I had begun baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. I didn't really know who it was, but I began my ministry under the instruction of God he says, so that this one might be revealed to Israel. I was making a way. And John bore witness. And here's what he said. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove. And it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain... This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This is the one. This is the Lamb. This is God in human flesh. And John's testimony in verse 34, I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Okay, here's what I want us to get. There seem to be 
this defining moment in John the Baptist's life. John the Baptist knew all about the one who would come. He knew the Old Testament prophecies. He knew where he would be born. He, he knew that he would be a carpenter. He, he knew that he would be born of a virgin. He knew all of the Old Testament prophecies. He had this incredible head knowledge of the Messiah and who the Messiah would be. But he never knew him experientially until that day that he baptized the one who would be the Lamb of God. It was a defining moment. It changed John the Baptist and who he was. He baptizes Jesus. He sees the Spirit of God come upon Jesus as if a dove. He hears a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And for the first time, John the Baptist experiences the reality of God's presence in his life. And it changed him forever. The question becomes, have you had that kind of experience? I believe that John the Baptist in the way we would define it today, was a Christian. <laughs> By faith, he believed in the one that God would send. That's how Old, Old Testament uh, uh, people were saved. By faith, Abraham was saved. By faith, Abraham was saved because he believed. I believe that John the Baptist believed. He, he was a Christian, but he had, he had not had that kind of defining moment where he began to experience the reality of God in his life. And the question for us today is, have we, have you, have you experienced the reality of God? Maybe you're a believer this morning. Maybe you're a Christian this morning. But there's not been this, this, this reality, this experience of of who Jesus really is in your life. I see this played over and over again in, in the Scriptures. I think about John the disciple who, who wrote this Gospel. I, I watch him as, as he is discipled by Jesus Himself. I look at some of the experiences that John the Baptist had. I, I can remember a time in Luke, I think it's chapter 7, where, where he, he rebukes some believers who are doing ministry in Jesus' name, but they're not a part of Jesus' inner circle. And he says to Jesus, those guys over there were, were healing in your name, and I rebuked them, and I told them to stop. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. If they're not against us, they're, they're for us. Leave them alone and let them minister. It was this kind of expression of love that Jesus had for John. There was another time when, when there was a group of believers in Samaria, a group of unbelievers in Samaria that somehow or another, this is also in Luke chapter 7, somehow or another they, they had really upset John, the disciple. And he says to Jesus, do you remember this? He says to Jesus, why don't we just ask God to rain down fire on them? 
Jesus goes, you don't understand my spirit. I love them. There was a time when, when John was really, really concerned about what his rank was in the kingdom of God. And he even asked Jesus about it. Jesus' response was to teach John about love and about serving. It was during this time that, that, that John, the disciple, was growing in his knowledge of Jesus. I believe that he believed that Jesus was God. I believe that as we define it, he was a, a Christian. He, he had been up on the Mount of Transfiguration and, and he had seen Jesus as he, as he changed, as he was transformed into the, the Spirit that he was. The, he, he was glorified. He saw Jesus in all of his glory. I don't think there was a, an ounce of doubt in John the disciple's mind about who Jesus was, but, but there was this... this uh, lack of a, a real understanding, an experiential understanding of who Jesus was, then I think there was a defining moment in John's life. And I don't know exactly when that was. I, I have to believe that maybe it was as he stood at the foot of the cross. He was the only one of the twelve disciples who was there and he stood next to Jesus' mother Mary and, and he gazed up at Jesus and I think for the first time, he kind of had that defining moment that transcended his knowledge of who Jesus was. And at the foot of the cross, he began to experience that Jesus loved him. He looked at Jesus differently and it's as if he was saying, this one who I know to be God would die in my place, would pay the penalty for my sin. I think it was really from that point on that, that John began to describe himself as what? The disciple that Jesus loved. Sometimes we kid old John about that. But he wasn't bragging. He wasn't suggesting that he was loved better than the other disciples. It was the reality. It was that defining moment. It's when it hit him. It's when he realized, He loves me. And that love became what, what, what was the, what defined John's ministry. It's interesting that when Jesus first called John, we'll look at this a little bit in a couple of weeks, when Jesus first sees John, he, he, he's mending his nets. It says, and Jesus calls to him, come and follow me. That would kind of be the identity of John. He, he's a reconciler. He's a healer. He's a, a mender of relationships. That would be his ministry in, in the church. He would write about love, loving Jesus, being loved by Jesus, and loving one another. If you don't, if, if you're not, if you don't love God, you, you can't love one another. If you don't love one another, you, you don't love God. The first and second, third John, it's about love. The Gospel of John, it's about love. It became his identity. It was that defining moment at the cross where he says to himself, looking up at Jesus, he loves me. He, he really, really loves me. I think about the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Now listen, the Apostle Paul had a lot of head knowledge about the Messiah and who the Messiah would be. 
But on that road to Damascus, this was his salvation experience. This is when he came to know Christ. He had an encounter with Jesus. He saw Jesus. He experienced Jesus. And his life was never, ever the same. Have we had that defining moment? A better question is, have you had that defining moment in your life? I'm not talking about a second blessing or anything like that. I'm talking about when you come to that place in your life when you truly understand, experience, realize who Jesus is. And it changes your life forever. I think my own personal experience was very similar to that of John the Disciple. John the Baptist, when he had that experience, he, it, it occurred to him, this is the Lamb of God. John the disciple, when he had that experience, it, it, it occurred to him, this is the, a God of love who gives himself for the world. Paul, when he had that experience, it, it occurred to him, this is truly the Messiah. This is the one sent from God. This is the King. This is the Lord. This is the Master. It changed his life I my own experience is more like that of John the disciple I, I remember it's been it's been a long time ago 25 years ago probably that I was invited I grew up in church I could tell you how to get saved I knew the Roman road I knew some scriptures I, I was familiar with you know I had a lot of knowledge and I was a Christian I had placed my faith in Jesus but I don't know that there had ever been a time when I really, really understood who he was. I was invited to go to this, this weekend retreat where, where for, for, for three days we just spent time in the Word and, and we learned about the character of Jesus and we learned about the way he loved us and we learned about his involvement in our lives and, and it was all about the reality of a relationship with God. That's what it was about. And, and the very last night that we were there, they set up this room to do everything that they possibly could to make us feel like we were at the cross. They gave us each, I remember this, this, this spike that was similar to the spikes that were used to nail Jesus to the cross. And as we went through that evening, as I sat there and did everything I could to just kind of place myself at the foot of the cross and see Jesus for who He was, I think it was the time, I think it was a defining moment for me because it was the time that I thought to myself, this is not about religion. This is not about what I believe and this is what I choose to believe and that's what he chooses to believe and he's okay with that and I'm okay with this. This isn't about me doing religious things. This isn't about going to church. or This is about Jesus loves me. This is about a God who would leave heaven's glory and come to earth so he could die 
in, in my place and pay the penalty for my sin. Why? So that he and I could be reconciled together, so that he and I could have a relationship. I think it was that moment more than any other where I began to say, I can experience the presence of God in my life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. He loves me. He's with me. His love is unconditional. He walks with me. He'll never leave me. It's this relationship. It's something that's very, very intimate. It's not based on my performance. It's just that He loves me. And, and I think that that was a defining time. And I think that God has, has walked with me and helped me to grow in that. Because I want to tell you something. I, I've been far, far, far from, from perfect since that time. But there's always been this sense of, of the presence of God in my life. Have you had that defining moment? What would bring you to a place where you could experience that kind of defining moment? I think it might be in, in, in John the Baptist's cry. Prepare ye a way for the Lord. Prepare your hearts to experience Him. Prepare your hearts to receive from Him. It's like the, the parable of the soils. This is saying, prepare your hearts. It needs to be fertile soil that you can receive from God. Have you had that kind of experience? Why? Why not? What was it? Share it with me. I want to hear. I, 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 I am convinced that the majority of, of the of Christendom in the United States, the, the, the majority of believers, they've not had an experience like that. They, they understand who Jesus is. They understand that He died for their sins. They understand that their souls need to be saved. They understand that He's the only way of salvation. They've placed their faith in Him. But, but you know what? It, there's this, there's this thing that's lacking, and it's this intimacy, it's this real relationship with God. Have you had that kind of defining moment in your life? This past week, I had breakfast with my dear friend, Ed Halston. And I had been studying this and praying about this and thinking about this, and so I thought I would just take the opportunity, and I said, Hui, I said, I know your testimony. I've heard you share how you came to know Christ as Savior. I said, but was that the defining moment in your life? Was that where it, it clicked for you? Is that where, where you, you, you came into this intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ? He, he, said, he said, man, that's a good question. And he thought for just a second and he said, he goes, no, I don't think it was. He goes, I knew I was saved. I knew God saved me. And he said, I, I wanted to get saved because I recognized and I understood my soul needed to be saved. And I, I knew that Jesus was the only way. He got saved under the television ministry of Charles Stanley. He said, I, I got saved and, 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 and I, I can remember people telling me before my salvation experience and Charles Stanley saying over and over again, you need to be in the Word. You need to be in the Word. He said, so I, I just started reading the Bible, studying the Bible, and meditating on the Bible. And he said, you know what? God used that to really soften my heart. God used that to kind of draw me to Himself. He said, I, it, it, it had been about six months that I had been saved. And he said, I remembered it was a Friday. I was sitting out by the pool 
Lisa, my wife, she was, she was sitting out by the pool, but she wasn't sitting right next to me. She was about a quarter away around the pool. My son, Alexander, he was swimming in the pool. And he said, I had just had one of the worst weeks of my life. I had invested a, a, a lot of money in my business. And a day or two later, I, I got a call from our, our biggest client who told us they would no longer need our services. And it, it looked bad. It looked real, real bad. And I sat there in my chair, and I, he said, I was just having a conversation with God. That wasn't, that wasn't unusual for him. He had kind of learned of God's presence. And he says, I was just having this conversation with God. And he said, it occurred to me, God's the one in control, not me. And that in order for me to experience his control in my life, I've got to surrender to him. He said, at that very moment, I said, God, I'm not going to worry about this business stuff anymore. I'm just going to give it to you. I'm going to surrender to you. Whatever you want from me, I'll do. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. It doesn't matter. I can lose the business. It doesn't matter. You're the one in control. He said that was the defining moment for me. When I surrendered everything I had to him and let him be the master, and him be the boss. The next day on Saturday, he said to Lisa, his wife, he said, you know what? I'm going to go to Avalon Church tomorrow. And she said, what about me and Alexander? He goes, I didn't think you'd want to go. She goes, we want to go. They began to worship here at Avalon Church six months after they started worshiping here. Lisa got saved. It's done this incredible work in Lisa's life. And now in this next week, I'm going to have a time with Alexander where we're going to talk about him getting baptized and his understanding of Jesus and who Jesus is. In that short amount of time, God has begun to lead and guide, direct Hui's life. And he, he called him to begin a ministry in Israel who hadn't cared a thing about Jew or Jews or Jewish people or the land of Israel, but God kind of just orchestrated all of that. And now he's been over to Israel 10, 15 times and he's begun to develop relationships and he's gotten involved. They're starting a church in Israel in the middle of this Jewish community. And it goes back to a time where he says, you know what? I'm not God. So why should I worry? God is God. That was a defining moment for him. Have you had that defining moment? Do you want to have that defining moment? Do you want to come to that place? Look, maybe it'll be a salvation experience. Maybe it'll, it, it, it'll be a difficult time in your life where you just understand you need to surrender. Maybe it'll be a time in your life where maybe everything's not all that bad, things are going pretty good, but it's, you begin to realize how much Jesus loves you and the intimate relationship He wants to have with you. That you can experience His presence. That's the question this morning. God, I, I want that. I don't understand it fully. I want that. Allow me to experience that. Listen, I'm done. I, I, I know I'm running a little long. I can stand up here week after week after week after week after week and say to you, tell God every morning, 
If you want to use me today, I'll be available. But until you have that experience where he becomes real to you, where there's an intimate relationship with him, you're never going to do that. You're not. We've got to come to that place where we recognize who he is, his love for us, his involvement in our lives, how he wants to grow us in our relationship with him. Let me invite you to stand. I don't know exactly what to do with this this morning other than to say to you, God is here. God is here. And His heart is to draw you to Himself. His heart is that, is that your relationship with Him be one of intimacy, one that's very, very real. You've never trusted in Jesus? You can do that this morning. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to those who will be here at the front. You've been a Christian for a while? Be honest. It really hasn't made that big of a difference in your life. You know you're saved. You know heaven's your home. You know your sins are forgiven. But there's no power. There's no difference. That's not God's desire for you. God calls you to Himself this morning. Prepare ye the way for the Lord. The King is coming. Ask Him to change your heart. God, change my heart so that I receive from you, so I experience you, so that you pour yourself into me. I want that kind of heart. So Lord Jesus, this is a big, big chunk to swallow. I pray for every single individual in this room. May they sense you drawing them to yourself. Regardless of, Lord, where they're at in their relationship with you, there are some here who don't know you at all. I pray that today would be the day of salvation for those. There are some that, that are here and they're Christians and they hear Jesus say, I came that you might have life and might have it abundantly. And they think to themselves, well, that certainly doesn't describe my life. Draw them to yourself. Reveal yourself to them. Give them hearts to receive from you. Change lives in this moment. For many, may this be that time where they go, you know what, that's when it was. That's when I realized how much He loves me and how much He wants intimacy with me. You'll never be the same. God, have Your will and way in every heart and life. I beg You, as we worship the Lord, I pray that You'll be obedient to what He calls You to in this time. Guys, lead us if you would.